Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all doing well today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. I hope that all of you have had a great week this last week, and I pray that all of you will have a great week coming. Uh, We are continuing in our series in Mark titled The King and His Cross, looking at the story of Jesus and his life and his ministry and his mission as he brought himself and the gospel to us. And so as we close out last week in chapter 3, we saw Jesus setting a new way for us to think about family. Not that our earthly families are not important, but that they are not ultimate. Knowing that Jesus is ultimate and all other competing things, even our families, they're all temporary. And at the close of that passage, we saw Jesus giving us a new category for family. Not earthly family, but heavenly. Not family by birth, but family by repentance and faith and belief that proves itself in obedience to the Father. And this morning, as we look at our text today in Mark chapter 4, we are going to see Jesus bring a little more clarity to who are the members of that family. Today, we are going to see how the gospel, the good news of Christ coming to save sinners, how the message of the gospel lands on different types of people, how people hear this message and respond to this message in a variety of ways. And we're going to see that this text is very applicable to our day today. And this text today will sober us. It should wake us up. It should startle us. It should shake us to attention. And it will sober us because it is going to show us or remind us of people that we ourselves know who fit into these categories, where it may even sober us or remind us that we ourselves find ourselves in one of these categories. People that we love and care deeply about, people that we pray for, even with tears, that will hear anew and Respond to the message of the gospel. It will sober us to check our own hearts and the condition of the soil that is there. But I pray and I believe that today we need not fear this text. Because this text will also fill us with hope if we are in Christ. Hope that allows us to rest in the hands of the sower as he sows seed that does yield fruit. The best yield and the best fruit can ever be found. So let's look into this text together again this morning. Mark 4, 1 through 20, this is God's word. And again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got in a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depths of soil. And the sun came out, and it scorched it. And since it had no root, it withered withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, 
growing and increasing and yielding. He said, he who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in. It chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil, they are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, hundredfold. This is God's word. Let me pray for us real quick and then we'll look into understanding this text together today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you make your word clear. We pray that you would open our ears to hear today with the ears of our hearts so that this word may go deep in us. We know that you will speak, Father. May we hear. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. There are three large rocks in our passage today that, that we are going to look at and we need to see the parable itself because we have to see what is going on here. But we also not just need to see this parable, we need to see the purpose of all the parables. And then we also need to see the meaning of this parable. But let's start with the parable itself. These verses at the beginning of chapter four. I've mentioned before in the past that I'm not a gardener. Try as I may, God has not blessed me with a green thumb. I'm jealous of men like Matthew Poole and George Kilgore and probably many others of you who you love that. That is a gift and it brings you great delight and joy. It does not bring me delight and joy. It just brings death. It's not a happy thing. I'm truly happy if that is you that you can make things grow green instead of just like I said, making things grow dead. But even though I'm not skilled at getting things to grow, and maybe there are others of you here this morning that are like me, I can understand how the process works. There's preparation that needs to take place and much work needs to be done before the planting even begins. The planting is just part of the process. It's the final step. First, we select where we want things to begin to grow. Then we need to clear it out and clean it up. Then we need to test the soil and maybe we need to add new soil or nutrients or other things to ensure that the ground is ready to receive the seed that we're gonna plant. And it is only after we do all of that that we are ready to plant the seed. And Jesus is going to tell us something about preparation here as well. But it's not near as complicated as all of that. Let's look again at verse 3 of chapter 4. 
Let's look at the first word there that Jesus says. Listen. His command here is an imperative. He is telling them something that needs to be done. His command here is to listen. But notice in our English Bibles, it isn't just an an imperative. It is also an exclamation. There's urgency here. Heed must be paid. Not just listening, but actual hearing needs to take place. We must lean in and listen with care to what Jesus is about to tell us. This isn't just a casual story that Jesus is telling. No, there is much to discern here. And there is much of importance to discern here. And this story here is one that whether you have a brown thumb like me or a green thumb, this story is one that most people can relate to even in our day. There was a sower who set out or decided to sow. And as he went sowing, some seed fell on hard ground, some on rocky ground, some on thorns and weeds, and some fell where it was intended to fall. To make this even more applicable, as if that wasn't already, let's put it in home-owning lawn maintenance parlance. Most people in this area of the state have fescue lawns, lawns that stay some level of green year-round. But with fescue, you have to aerate and seed and overseed each fall, to keep the yard healthy and to promote new growth. To cast the seed, you either need to throw it by hand or you use a spreader. But it isn't placing individual seeds in holes. It's spreading wide and far as you cast out the seed. And when you do this, some falls on the sidewalk, some falls in the street, some falls in the cracks of the sidewalk, some falls in your natural areas where many things grow, and some falls in the yard. This is the image we have here, seed being cast far and wide. And Jesus ends his parable as he begins. He begins with a command and he ends with one. He begins with listen and he ends with, if you have ears, hear what I have said. Well, apparently, if we are listening and trying to hear, we see that it's easy to understand. But we do need to dig in a little deeper. And we need to dig in deeper because we don't just need to see the parable. We need to see the purpose of all the parables. And when we begin in our text today, we see great crowds with Jesus again. And now here in verse 10, we see him alone with the 12 and his other close followers. And while he is alone with them, they ask him about the parables. Now, I want us to see something here. Remember, Mark moves fast. He moves us along with urgency. And Mark is relaying to us what Peter relayed to him. But look at verse 2. Jesus wasn't just teaching them this parable. He was teaching them many parables. And some might have been more difficult to discern than others. So we get to verse 10, and it isn't just this parable that they are asking him about. They are most likely asking him about all the parables. And in asking about the parables, Jesus pulls back the curtain a bit to let them in on his purpose in using parables. And it isn't what you may have been told before. You probably have been told that parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And while that is true at some level, there is far more to it than that. When people say that, many times they use that as an encouragement for us to make the message of the gospel more easy to digest, to make complicated things simple and easier for people to deal with. 
But what Jesus says here doesn't say that at all. What Jesus says here is that parables are told for the encouragement of those who will listen and hear and obey. And for everyone else, it is a warning. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 in his explanation. Last year as a church, we went through that wonderful book together and we saw a familiar theme that ran through Isaiah. The faithful preaching of a message to people who had been deafened to its message. A message that should have been clear and easy to understand ends up seemingly complicated. And it can be complicated because we, like the children of Israel listening to Isaiah, we don't want to obey what's being told to us. And it could be that it seems complicated because it is so very simple. But everyone that was there within earshot of Jesus as he was teaching would have understood this illustration of sowing seed. Just as many of you can understand the illustration of seeding a lawn. It just wasn't complicated. So why does it need an explanation? Because we need to have ears to hear what is being said. Like when parents or someone we trust need to convey some information to us and we half listen and then we mess up the instructions. This is the same thing here. Yeah, 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 Jesus, got it. There's a sower, there's some seed, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, I got it, I understand. And this is Jesus's point as we will see in the meaning. Do we really have ears to hear what he is saying? Are we listening in such a way that what he is saying passes from our ears to our hearts so that it gets fully planted. And Jesus' challenge, and his challenge here, especially to those that are closest to him, is that, are you not willing to listen and understand? Look at verse 13. He says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Do you not even understand something as simple as sowing seed? Now, we know Jesus isn't being condescending here, but he is being emphatic here. If we aren't willing to listen to what is simple, how will we ever understand what is complicated? If we aren't willing to learn our A's, B's, and C's, we will never be able to read, yet even write a novel. And that leads Jesus to show great kindness to them as he does to us as well, in giving us the meaning of this parable. Let's look starting at verse 14 as Jesus breaks down for them the meaning. And first we see something that should make our hearts sing. Two very important things here. Jesus starts with helping us see the sower and the seed. The sower is God and the seed is the word. And here is why this should make your heart rejoice. We have a good and faithful sower who has sown good seed into us. And this is super encouraging because it takes all the pressure off of us little sowers who will keep sowing the seed. The seed is good. It is good seed. It is precious seed. It is valuable seed. There is nothing to question about the seed. We will see this as we continue on here. But it's the soil that causes the issue, not the seed. Friends, be encouraged by this today. Be encouraged as we sow in the pattern of the true sower. 
Let's have our confidence in the seed before we ever start to become mesmerized by man-made methods that tell us how to get a better yield. It's the principle of faithfulness over fruitfulness. And faithfulness begins by marveling at the word every day. The seed is the word. Let's, Let's marvel at this word. We need to be reminded daily of the life that this word brings. And what does it mean when it says the word here? Well, though not explicitly described here, it is 100% implicitly inferred here that Jesus is talking about the life-giving message of the gospel. Remember, Jesus is here to preach the gospel of the kingdom, moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous light. And how does this happen? It happens through his sacrifice on the cross to save sinners like me and like you. Through his sinless perfection, So that I don't have to be sinlessly perfect. So that I can see how sinfully inadequate and guilty I am. So that I can see how he in my place suffers the shame and punishment and wrath from his father that I deserve. So that I can be moved to confess that sin and repent of that sin and receive God's grace in Jesus through faith. So I can be saved and given new life. Grace that moves me from guilt and shame to joy and confidence in Christ. And we need to remember, I need to remember that if this word brought life to me, it can certainly bring life to others. We need to be faithful to be in the word. And then we trust all the yield to God. Ultimately, he is the sower. He produces the yield. Let that give us confidence today. So why should this give us confidence? Because only God knows the heart. And only God knows the soil. Now, as we talk about these four types of soil, I I want to give some careful encouragement at the beginning here. As we move through each of these, you are certainly going to see in your mind names and faces. I have two this week, but my encouragement for you is not to let that cause you to be downcast, but to let it cause you to pray, to pray for those people and to pray for their hearts. And as you pray, have faith that God can and will change them. He alone knows the heart and he alone knows the soil. And here Jesus gives us the breakdown of these soils. First, we have the soil that is hardened and packed down. This is ground that might be good, but it's been sun-baked and now it's like concrete. Remember the context. This isn't pavement. This is just ground that has been trampled underfoot. And the seed comes and it just rests on the surface, not being able to get under the surface to where the seed could germinate. Notice what Jesus says here. He says that it is Satan that comes to steal that seed. Now, Jesus just mentions this briefly, so I will as well. But we must remember, friends, we must remember. It is to our peril if we forget this. We must remember that we have an active enemy who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus himself tells us that. And Peter 
from his own letters and his own pen, not from Mark's pen, tells us that Satan prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. We need not be surprised that there would be active opposition to the word as the message is delivered. And these people who hear this message are ones who are actively opposed to its message. When they hear the word, it is only folly to them. It's pure foolishness. Those who believe and subscribe to this message are idiots. They see no value because of the hardness of their hearts to this message. Next, for those who receive the message with joy, true joy, true gladness, but it is only temporary. They are people who hear and receive. They see that there is, in fact, something good about this good news, and then they joyfully partake. But in failing to count the cost, when the demands of discipleship come, that joy turns to gloom. And that good news becomes bad news. And they no longer continue to grow in grace. And the next ones are ones that should cause all of us to pause the most. John Piper, in a sermon on this text, said that it is the third soil that should strike the hearts of the American church the most. This is the soil that can show a yield the longest before it ever reveals the genuine nature of the fruit. This ultimately is the soil that lives the Christian life as if we can have our cake and eat it too. We can have the world and have our Jesus. And ultimately, that is why this seed gets choked out. Notice what Jesus says here about this soil. These are those who become enamored with the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Ultimately, what Jesus says and shows us here is deep-seated worldliness in the heart of this person. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. He shows us the destructive cycle that worldliness brings in the hearts of people. Listen to Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Verse 19 shows us this cycle of destructive worldliness, but in reverse. It shows us the end and works back to the cause. But this choking out always begins with the setting of our minds on earthly things. And notice what Jesus says here in verse 19 of Mark 4. It's the cares of the world. Earthly things. And the end is the same for both. Falling away that leads to ultimate destruction. Ligon Duncan, who's been a faithful Presbyterian minister for years and is the chancellor of Reform 
Theological Seminary, he defines worldliness this way from a sermon on that passage in Philippians. It says that worldliness means that a person has come to be at home in this world, to find their place of belonging in this world, to think like this world, and to desire the things that this world desires. It should cause everyone here, everyone listening at home who will listen to this later, should cause all of us to pause today. Because the truth is, this could be any of us here or listening to this today. Going back to the Piper sermon I mentioned earlier, he gives such a strong warning for us and our nation on falling away because it is so easy in our nation to fall away. And the thing that struck me about that message was that it was preached in 1984, not in 2021. This danger is not new. It wasn't new for the Apostle Paul. The end of 2 Timothy, as he writes about his and Timothy's dear friend Demas, who had left the faith and had fallen in love with the world. It's not new to our day. But because it is not new, we must pay great attention to the threat that it poses. Because the cares of this world can truly be anything. They can be riches for sure, as Jesus mentions in Mark 4. But cares of the world and other things, as Jesus says, it's pretty open-ended. Paul helps us a little more in Philippians Chapter 3 is the context there, is specifically speaking of Judaizers. People whose love of their nationalistic identity allowed them to believe that being Jewish and Christian was more important than being Christian. A nationalistic gospel all the way back in the beginning of the church. It's not new to our day. It can be families, as Jesus himself showed us last week can be the love of religion as Jesus has been challenging the Pharisees to see from the start of Mark's gospel. This can be anything, literally anything, that would tempt us to find our full and final satisfaction in that thing other than Jesus. So what is the hope? What's the hope? The hope is verse 20. The fruit that bears fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That is the hope. The good seed that does bear fruit, fruit that will last and yield forever. And so the test for us is to look for fruit and to ask some questions. Is the soil of our lives producing a yield? Is gospel fruit growing in the garden of our souls? And friends, the only way to know if this is so is to ask if we are believing the gospel and growing in the gospel daily. The life-giving message of the word that alone can and will produce fruit that will last. So how do we respond to this today? Well, first, let's all know, accept and acknowledge that everyone here is one of these types of soil. So let's start by examining our hearts to see which one we are. And if you are types one through three, as Jesus says, 
lean into this message today. Lean into this message today. For the first time, or for the 5,000th time, don't merely listen. Actually hear. Hear the Savior's kind words. His kindness, His love, His mercy, His grace. And hear His call to you, to you today. See your sin, your hardness of heart, your fear of what it will cost you, your love of this world. See it, repent of it, and rest in the grace the Father gives you in the Son. And if you are here and you are growing in grace and your life is producing a yield, that is you. The fruit is being produced. Continue growing in the word. Allow the root bed to grow deeper and stronger so the soil stays healthy and rich. Fight the cares of this world with the word. Paul gives a counter to how to fight worldliness later in Philippians 4.8. Finally, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. Think on the worldly things. Think on these things. Let's let our hearts and minds be consumed by what is ultimate, what is lasting. Let's not be mesmerized by what is temporary and distracting. Let's run after Jesus, the living word, And let's see this good fruit push out the bad fruit as we grow in grace. Let's be people who don't just have ears, but who use those ears to listen and to respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life-giving message of the gospel. Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to be able to receive through your word true and lasting and rich, good seed that plants itself in our lives. Father, may we respond to that. Father, may that seed get deep in the soil of our souls and may it produce gospel fruit that will last forever. Wherever we are and whatever our condition today, Father, may We run to your son and may we fall upon the grace that you have shown us in him. We ask this in his name. Amen.